Hello everyone, here is Dania with another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with Matt Edmondson from the UK and uh, we will discuss his seven-step strategy to build e-commerce brands and also I think we can call it a hybrid model that he has. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. Hey Matt, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Daniel. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. How are you? Yeah, all good. All good. Uh, really busy days, I would say. We are already preparing for Q4 a bit, you know? <laughs> you <laughs> see, now that's forward thinking. That really is forward thinking, right? There. Every year what I learn is you cannot prepare too early. Like in my first year in business, I prepared in November. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then October, September, August, now even, I don't know. Before we start talking about your businesses, so... Please tell us more about your background. Like, how did you start with your first business back then? When was it? Oh, geez. My first business was when I was back at school. And when I was at school, I got permission to create what we call a tuck shop, um, which is basically where you sell sweets and candy, right? And yeah. um, I would go to the wholesale place and I would buy this stuff and then we'd put it out at school and we'd sell it. And we'd make a profit. Um, in fact, we did so well, the headmaster said to me, you can't do that anymore because the school's going to run its own tuck shop because we were doing, you know, well with it. And so that was a big lesson. You know, when you start doing something well, other people swoop in to take your marketing, you've got to be prepared for that, right? So that was the first real business I remember was doing the tuck shop at school. I often say to people that I used to be a drug dealer because when I was at school, one of the things that I had as a kid, I, you can picture the scene. As a kid, I had ginger hair. I had um, what we call national health glasses, which were government provided glasses, which weren't the most flattering back in the 80s. And I had asthma as well. And as a young kid, I, it was all going against me <laughs> in some respects. And one of the things that I realized was that the tablets that the doctor prescribed for my asthma, which I was supposed to take, also made you fart, which as a young kid was very cool, right? And quite amazing and something that we wanted. So I would sell these tablets to all my classmates. And I did really well because I didn't have to pay for the medication because in England, the medication was provided for by our government under the National Health Service. And um, I just kept going back the doctor for more and more of these tablets until a teacher caught me one day and I got into a little bit of trouble. But yeah, I mean, if I go back far enough, that's kind of how I started. I think it's really interesting to hear these stories. I just uh, started reading the book, Zapos Delivering Happiness. Oh, great and, book. Great book. Great book, yeah. And actually, this is my second time reading it. I really like that book. And Tony, the author, he writes a lot about his uh, childhood stories and, and how he started with business. Let's fast forward a bit. So after selling drugs let's say <laughs> what was the first uh, step that you made or took in uh, e-commerce in about 1997 i was working in a company selling health spas i designed and installed health spas you know like saunas and steam rooms and things like that and a friend of mine came to me and said listen my church needs a website one of these website things where can i get it because this was the late 90s the internet was just starting to you know become something that people had heard about and websites were something that one or two people were considering and this guy was a businessman and he was like i want to get my church a website who can do that 
and I knew in Liverpool only one company that could do it. And so I said to him, well, there's, there's only one company that I know that can do it, but they're going to they charge a small fortune because it, websites were super expensive back then. And so I said to him, I said, listen, I know that there's some software out there that can help you with this sort of stuff. If you buy the software, which was called Dreamweaver at the time, if your listeners can go back that far in their thinking, then I'll figure out how to do the websites. So you buy the software and I'll create the website for you. And he said, okay, so this is sort of like a side hustle that I'm then starting at my job and I'm learning how to develop and code. And a few years later, I decided that I needed to try the e-commerce websites to write an e So I, I, I developed an e-commerce website. I wrote it, but I didn't have a product to sell on it. So I, I approached somebody that I knew through the health spa business, a company which sold tanning products. And they're these sort of lotions you put on yourself when you use a sunbed to get tanned quicker. And I said to him, listen, but do you mind if I sell these products on the website? I said, I don't know if I'm going to sell any. I don't know if I'm going to sell a thousand. I just want to experiment and play around with. But if I can order from you cheaper than what I sell them for and you don't mind shipping stuff out to me as and when I sell it, then we'll see how we go. He was very gracious. And he was like, no, that sounds great. We'll happily do that for you, Matt. And so we put this website up called TanMad, my first ever e-commerce website. Six months later, I sold that to him. So this was mid-2002. I sold that website to him, the guy that I was buying the tanning products from, and he used it for his business. And that was my entry into e-commerce. It was 20 years ago this year, which is unreal. For me, it's really exciting to hear these stories. And actually, many of the guests who started e-commerce uh, 15, 20 years ago or even more, they always tell me that they started with a website and somebody asked them to set up a website. And, uh, you know, now it's so easy with Shopify. It literally takes two, three minutes to set, mm -hmm. set it up. So, yeah, it's just amazing how much the world uh, has changed since then. Yeah, it really and, has, because it took me months. I mean, months to write yeah. that website code because there weren't forums or well, there weren't websites that you could go to and get answers to questions. You had to figure a lot of stuff out. And so, yeah, the world was a very different place back then but of course it was a lot more difficult to set up the e-commerce website but then there was a lot less competition and so it was easier to sell products you know back then it's very different now i think so what is your current setup and i know you have multiple businesses i know you also sold a beauty brand last year mm -hmm. but uh, you also have a platform that you use i know it's not your main focus where is your focus now and what your companies do nowadays yeah so it's really interesting we have um, a company called orion and orion in effect does three things without getting too boring. One, it does e-commerce services for other companies. Two, it creates uh, content. So we have a podcast, we have online courses. We're just about to do something called the e-commerce cohort, which is great. So we sort of do that online content thing. And then the third thing we do is run our own e-commerce businesses. I keep my hand in e-commerce, if you like. Um, we sold our main e-commerce business last year to one of my competitors at the time, actually. Great guy. And he bought Jersey from me, Jersey Beauty Company. And so now we're, we're focused in on a company called Vegetology, which is a supplement company specifically for that is vegan and vegetarian certified, which is phenomenal. And so they're the kind of things that we're playing around with now. Yeah, it's interesting because a few episodes ago, I had a guest from Canada, Antoine. Everyone can check out that episode. And uh, his main focus is his e-commerce agency, PPC, Facebook ads on the French market mm. and Canadian. And what he told me is that just now they started uh, building their own e-commerce business. I think they actually bought one mm -hmm. because they think that you must have an e-commerce store. You have to dip your tools into e-commerce. You have to 
have a real business, e-commerce business, to understand the market and uh, the clients. If you are an agency or e-commerce platform or a service mm-hmm. company, and uh, do you share this with him, or or what's your take? Yeah, on absolutely. I mean, we were an e-commerce business before we became an agency, and um, before I started doing all the coaching and the consulting and all that sort of stuff. So we were first and foremost an e-commerce business, and it always surprised me. And I have to agree with Antoine that he is exactly right because it always surprised me. I'd often say to people, the way it worked was people would would have an e-commerce business and they'd have a problem or they'd want to understand something. So they would go to their web development company to try and get answers. This was a few years ago. And I I always believe that going to your web developer to ask some questions about e-commerce is a bit like going to a midwife and asking them on how to raise teenagers. A midwife is really good at one specific thing. That's helping you deliver the baby. But it doesn't mean they know everything about parenting, right? And a web agencies, in my experience, were a lot like that. And so I remember there was one particular time a few years ago, the UK government had a scheme. They, in effect, paid for my consulting time. They sent me to small businesses that wanted, you know, help digitally. And the government paid my fees to do that for and on behalf of the small business. And they said, but we, we because it's government, we need you to go to this training event because it can't be government without a training event, right? And so I went to this training event and there was, a, there was maybe 30, 40 people in the room that they were all training and they were all business consultants of some kind. And so I went around the room and I said, well, what do you do? I'm a management consultant. What do you do? I'm a management consultant. What do you do? I'm a small business consultant. And the room was full of them. And I said, I kind of took over the room a little bit. I'm not going to lie. And I said, listen, do me a favor. Show of hands. How many of you have actually run your own business? You're all in here as small business consultants to help small businesses grow and thrive. How many of you have actually ran a small business yourself? Do you know in a room of 30, 40 people that were being paid by the government to to sort of coach small businesses, how many of them put their hand up? Have a guess out of 30 or 40 people. So I don't know, not many, I guess, like five, six. Not even that, not a single person. I was the only person in the room that had experience. Everybody else was either an accountant, a banker or a lawyer looking to do something different. I was flabbergasted and I think you have to have skin in game. I think you have to have integrity. I can't come onto a show like this and talk about an e-commerce framework or I, you know, how to grow at sales if I'm not doing it myself. Because if it's as good as I say it is, surely I'm going to be doing this very thing. So I remember years ago, they don't do it so much these days, but I don't know if you have this where you live, Daniel, but it used to be people would come and knock on the door at the house and they would try and sell you new windows, double glazing, we call it here in the UK. And so they would try and sell you new windows and they'd come and knock on the door. Hi, I'm, you know, Fred from such and such window company. Come buy my windows. Sales. Yeah. Yeah. Door sales, door to door salesman. And it got to the point where I said to the people when they would knock on the door, I said, listen, I want you to do me a favor. I can tell you how this conversation is going to go. You're going to tell me how fantastic your windows are and how you're so much better than everybody else on the market, right? So if those things are true and you're going to do me a great deal, because that's the other thing that you're going to tell me, I want your company to either fax me because we had fax machines back then and I had a fax machine at my house. I like, I want you to either fax me or email me a copy of the order that you personally have placed with that company to get new windows. Because if they're as good as you say they are, you've got them in your house, right? If you don't own a house, your mum has definitely got them in her house. So I want to see that order. If you can show me those orders, I will talk to you and I will listen to you. I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to buy anything, but I'll definitely have a conversation with you. Because if they're as good as you say they're going to be, if you believe in them at all along the lines of which you're preaching, you're going to have them. And over the 10 years that I did that, not one single person could give me the order for the windows. And I think there is, there's a real shame to that, you know, a real, real shame. You have got to practice what you preach. 
Yeah, that's a really good takeaway. And thanks for sharing this story with the, with the windows. Let's talk about the seven-step system that you have. I don't want to steal more time from that. Yeah, so what is this formula about and this strategy? So the seven steps or the framework, um, it's very simple. Whenever I set up a new e-commerce business, whenever I'm looking at existing e-commerce businesses, whether it's my own or whether I'm coaching, I have in my head these seven areas, this sort of seven-step framework. Because every e-commerce business that I have found needs to function well in each of these seven areas. And so regularly looking at them and focusing on them is super critical. And so the first area is story or brand. You know, what does a brand look like, feel like? What's the experience I'm trying to deliver? Who's the target audience I'm going after? What's what's my target customer? What do they look like? What do they, what's important to them? Where do they shop? Where do they hang out? What colors do they like? What kind of clothes do they wear? You know, what kind of signage do they like to look at? It's just understanding my customer story, my company story, and how those two things interact and relate. And I think if you're setting up a new e-commerce business, you always have to start here. Who am I selling to? You know, what's important to them? The second step, you know, you've got your brand. The first step and the second step, you can swap them around a little bit. You know, they're, they are interchangeable. But the second step is what I call sell or product. What's the product that I want to sell? Now, when I said years ago, I built a website and then went and found a product to sell on it. So many people try and do that these days. They'll go to Shopify, set up a website and then go, what am I going to sell on this thing? And I think it's entirely wrong these days. I think I got away with it in 2000. I don't get away with it 20 years later. You have to understand what it is you're going to sell. And that product that you're going to sell to the customer that you have researched in phase one, there has to be, I think every good product has two key things. One, there is demand for it. And two, you either know or have the ability to know a lot about that product. You have the ability to become an expert in it. So that when you track both knowledge and demand, it tends to be, I have found over the years, the products where I can know a lot about a product, where I can be an expert in that product and where there's high demand, they're great products for me to sell online, right? I mean, great, great products. So you think about the beauty industry. When I got involved in the beauty industry, I knew nothing about the beauty industry, but it's not rocket science and it was easy to learn. It was easy to to become an expert in that field. So I had products with high demand and we could be perceived as expert, which meant the content we put on our website was way better than anybody else's. I mean, way leaps and bounds above everybody else's. So those that didn't know what they want could find that information out on our website and it was great. So you've got your story, you've got your product, what are you going to sell? You've then got to move on to your platform, right? As in, what's the technology stack that I need to sell that product to that customer? So the website's the third thing down the list. That may be Spot uh, Shopify, Spotify. It may be Shopify, but it might not be. And you have to understand what makes sense for your customer. You can't just assume that one platform fits all. It doesn't. There's so many platforms out there. You've got to find the best platform which delivers the best experience to your customers to sell those high demand products that they want. That's when it becomes much more interesting. So if all you do is go to Shopify and buy cheap sunglasses from AliExpress, you know, like a buck a piece and then throw them on your website at 20 bucks and think you've got a winning website, you're really, really mistaken because you've not taken the time to understand the brand or your customer is that product high demand? We don't know. And the platform, you've assumed that this is the best platform to sell these particular items on, and it might not be. So they're, they're the sort of the first three steps. You've then got to move on to marketing. You know, the big sort of silver bullet, everybody is looking for the latest silver bullet on there in digital marketing, but how am I going to get traffic to my website? More importantly, how am I going to get relevant traffic to my website? How am I going to get people that want to buy? Because, you know, you can buy traffic, but is it the right traffic? And so what's my strategy for doing that? Once I've got the person to my website, the fifth step we've got to look at we is optimization in terms of how do I engage them? 
investment with these people being on my website? How do I get them to buy more? If they're not ready to buy, how can I onboard them? How do I get the email address? What's my strategy for continuing to sell to these people? All the stuff that you do, Daniel. Do you know what I mean? That's great stuff there. And then you then move on to customer experience. Now, this is, for me, this is the, the mistake I see most established e-commerce businesses make. So most startups make the mistake that I mentioned, you know, about the Shopify and the sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. Most established businesses, I think, make a mistake here at customer experience. And this is usually the biggest space that you've got for what we call quick wins, right? The ability to make some rapid change. Now, up until this point, if you think about what's happened, you've, you've got a customer who's come to your website to buy a product which is in demand on a platform that makes sense for them. You've found them, you've brought them to the website, you've optimized the website so they're likely to buy or leave you their email address, right? Up until this point, every single interaction that that person has had with you has been digital. It's all been pixels, right? It's only when someone places an order on your website and they ship it out to you, I'm holding it in my hands now, right? Now it becomes physical. I've moved from digital to physical, unless I'm selling a digital product, right? I've moved from digital to physical. And I give you an example on how badly people misunderstand this whole simple idea. My mum this weekend celebrated her 70th birthday. Okay. Happy birthday, mum. 70 fantastic years. Now, Happy birthday to her. Yeah, I'm sure she'd appreciate it. <laughs> and so I was at my mum's house and she had some gifts which had been sent to her by various friends, one of which was some makeup, which was sent from Boots, right, which is a pharmacy uh, here in the UK. And Boots had sent this product. Now I can pick on Boots because I learned this lesson very early on in Jersey Beauty Company. Boots had sent what was about 80 pounds, about 100 US dollars worth of product right? It wasn't a cheap order. It was two no. items, but it was expensive. And so we realized with Jersey, we did exactly what Boots did. All Boots did was they sent those two products in a brown box that was way too big for those two products. And the box was boring. It had their logo as big as they could make it on the side. And inside the box was just brown packaging paper, you know, the kind of thing that Amazon uses. And it was just dull, 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 dull. And yeah. mum opened it and didn't think at all about the company that had sent it. Not one. She just ripped the box open and was like, oh, this is the makeup from my friend. And she was thinking about her friend. And Boots, in my opinion, missed a massive opportunity because this was the first time somebody physically interacted with anything. And all it was was a brown box with their logo on it. And so at Jersey, what we did was we realized that when women were spending, you know, an average of 70 pounds, 80 pounds on an order, they weren't buying just skincare. They were buying a treat for themselves. They were buying a gift for themselves. We understood this because of phase one story brand. We were understanding the customer and what was going on in their head. They were treating themselves. And we were like, well, if you were going to treat yourself, you wouldn't go to a store buy a beautiful item with just dull and boring packaging. You just wouldn't do that. And so we were like, well, how do we how do we change this up a little bit? And so we printed messages inside the box. We wrapped the gifts in tissue paper. We got rid of the brown packaging and we used something that was a bit more interesting. And it was a bit more us, if I'm honest with you, a bit more fun. And it was popcorn because popcorn was biodegradable. Environment you know, issues count for us. It was fun. We like a little bit of fun. It was remarkable. It was something that people had not seen before. And so all of a sudden, imagine my mum on her 70th birthday opening up a parcel that instead of it, it's being bought 
door, open it up, and on the inside it just said, you are a remarkable person, and here's why we think you're remarkable. And she reads out of Sherpin's box, and then she sees tissue paper. So now this opening experience for her has become much more like a gift. Do you know what I mean? And she opens a tissue paper, and then she sees popcorn, and she's like, what is going on here? So all of a sudden, as a company, I'm now sticking out in her mind. So not only has she got the makeup, she's got a memorable experience with it. And so when we did that at Jersey, our repeat purchase rates soared. I mean, they went up massively because we created this experience which mattered to our customers. And I think so often e-commerce businesses forget this point. We focus so much on getting the sale that actually realizing that when customers get our product, when they get that parcel, that matters so much when it comes to them buying again. You've got to stand out. You've got to do something different. And you know what? People ask me about it all the time. They were like, well, didn't it cost a small fortune to do that? And we were like, you know what? It cost me about three pence more per parcel, three pence, which is nothing in a 70 pound average order value, but it created an experience that people were shouting about on social media. Do you know what I mean? And it's that that whole thing. So that's the sixth step, the sort of the customer experience. And the final step is what we call the growth. It's like the growth phase. Again, it's all about, okay, I've done that once. How do I do it again? And again, and again, and again, and again. How do I get these customers to come back time and time again and tell all their friends about me? We call it referability and repeatability. How do I get people to refer me and how do I get people to repeat purchase from me? And I think if you look at your e-commerce business through those seven lenses, you will find actually there is some area that you can improve that will actually have a big impact on what you're doing. Yeah, really interesting. I have a few questions about the different steps and uh, regarding customer experience, I just had uh, three guests about customer experience in the last four weeks, I think. So oh, it's wow. a crucial topic nowadays. And one of them, I think Stephen from Belgium, I forgot his full name, but uh, Stephen said that, you know, now technology is kind of commoditized. Like you can start a website so fast. You can use Stripe and different smart software tools. So it's relatively easy compared to like 20 years ago. But what is scarce nowadays, especially after COVID and during COVID is, uh, is good customer experience, human touch and all of these elements. And I think, and he thinks as well, he said this. So that's where brands can stand out, that yeah. human touch. And I really like one example that uh, I think iPhone came up with this, that Apple came up with this, that uh, when you unbox the package, you can use the phone immediately because it was yeah. already charged. And yeah. it was the first company who came up with this idea. And things like this, it can massively enhance the customer experience and how much they refer you because you make it as a very emotional, positive experience and you tell it to your friends. And uh, we have unboxing YouTube channels with uh, millions of views. So people are interested in this and they want to hear these stories. I have a question about number one, number two. So what tools do you recommend using to understand customers better? And also, I think it's interesting that you start with customers because many companies, they start with the product and then they try to sell it to someone. This is how they test the product. But it looks like you flipped it and you start with the customers, with the audience, and then you try to find the fitting product to those people. Yeah, you can do it both ways. You can you can start with a product and then go and find the audience and see if there is an audience and demand for it. I think a lot of time people go down that road of they find a product and they just keep blindly going, assuming somebody will somewhere will buy it. And I'm like, well, no, you've got the product. Now we want to see if people actually do want to buy this. Is there actually a demand for it? Yes or no? Because if there isn't, or the demand is low, why would you do that? So you take something like the record industry, you know, the old vinyl LPs. When I was growing up in the 80s, you know, they were everything that you bought. I'd save up for the latest LP and then cassettes became more of a thing and then CDs became the thing. And I, you know, no one was buying vinyl LPs at that point. Everyone was buying CDs. So I wouldn't have a website selling 
selling vinyl LPs. I would now because they become in high demand again, but back then they just weren't. And so it's, and what's interesting is CDs now seem to be making a comeback. Do you know what I mean? And people are now starting to want to buy CDs. And it's just really fascinating how it works, cycles of things go around. But what you don't want to do is try and sell CDs, you know, when MP3s are taking off because it's just, it's, it's like flogging a dead horse. Why would you want to do that? So a guy came to me the other, when was it? Maybe about eight, nine months ago. And he said, Matt, I need your help. I've got a product I need to shift online. I said, what's that? He said, fidget spinners. <laughs> I was like, what? He had like half a million pounds worth of fidget spinners, which he'd bought from China that he wanted to get rid of. And I'm like, the trend is gone, right? I mean, it is gone. Yeah. And it is so saturated now with people selling them super cheap on Amazon. Why would you even think? And so it's really interesting conundrum. You've got to balance this sort of demand side of things with the product and the customer that you're searching for. And if you're happy, you know, selling LPs, you just, which is uh, vinyls, you just got to go, well, okay, maybe only a hundred people are going to buy them this year. That's going to be the size of the business. Am I happy with that? Yes or no. If I am great, if I'm not, I've got to look for something else. Yeah. So I have only one question to you, which is uh, what would be your number one tip to e-commerce business owners in 2022? Let's say for seven figure e-commerce businesses. Other than going through the framework and just sort of thinking about your business and where your areas of weakness are and improve them. I think some of the trends that are coming out, which are really intriguing to me, and that I think we'll see more of, I suppose, if I'm going to try and predict it a little bit, I think live streaming on e-commerce websites is going to become more and more of a thing. So this is where you'll go to a website and somebody will be there just live streaming on the website and going, hey, listen, my name's Matt. Welcome to, you know, Vegetology, our supplement website. I'm here all afternoon. I'm live now. So if you have a browser around the site, if you've got any questions, just put them in the chat and I'll talk you through them. And you kind of go, when someone types in a question, is this suitable for, I don't know, someone who's pregnant? And I can I can respond to, say, Marcia or some, whoever it is. Go, Marcia, that's a great question. Most of our products are suitable for people who are pregnant. Some aren't. These ones aren't. These ones aren't. Let me tell you why they are. And I'm live streaming. I'm like QVCing on my website. And I think that kind of live stream interaction where I might be on for an hour or two a day, I think is going to really separate brands and it give that real personal touch. I can see that working well, certainly within the fashion world, you know, really, really well, where you go to a clothing website like ASOS and you're looking at something and they're live streaming. It's like, well, we've got this here. We can show you what this looks like on a guy about your size, if you like. And they come in and they talk about it and they can you spin them around. They can show you the fit and all that sort of stuff. And if you put that together with these jeans and I think you can create something on the fly and the person just goes, yeah, I want to buy that outfit and it populates in their cart somehow. I think that's going to become much more a thing. So if you really want to get cutting edge, I think live streaming e-commerce is going to become a big deal. Yeah, I think in China, there was an influencer or some celebrity who sold uh, over $1 billion of products in like six or eight hours of live stream. That's crazy. And yeah, it's coming. Crazy. It's already a thing audience. in China. So. I know there are sites doing it and it's starting to become a bigger and bigger thing. And uh, I'm just intrigued as to how it goes. Because we, as a company, we live stream, say, on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, mm-hmm. all three platforms. Even LinkedIn now has got a live stream platform. And yeah. again, where you've got to go back to the first question, where are my customers? Where do they hang out? Yeah. And so they hang out on a social media platform and they hang out on my website. So can I live stream to those two places? Well, yes, I can. How do I do that? And how do I engage them in such a way that they're perfectly happy to ask questions? And how do I do it in such a way that I don't sit there looking at the camera, just waiting for a question going, well, if you've got a question, I'm here. Otherwise, I'm, I'm like that receptionist, you know, at the hotel is bored, just filing a nails or whatever it is, live on camera. That's not going to work. So you've got to be able to create something that's interactive and engaging. But I think that ability to bring QVC-esque type stuff to your website is going to be a big deal. Yeah, everyone can start it today and then you will see the results. But I also think it's a cutting edge. We are also live on LinkedIn and Facebook and especially on LinkedIn. When people, they message me back, they tell me that, oh, you are the live stream guy. So they can see it. 
and mm. it's not a common thing on LinkedIn yet. So yeah, and it's growing. And if you're on LinkedIn, actually live streaming onto LinkedIn is great because they're boosting it, aren't they, at the moment in their algorithm. So you know, doing something like this, talking to customers or whatever, and live streaming onto LinkedIn with was it you use Streamyard or Ecam or Riverside or what? I mean, you know, there's a whole bunch of them, but you can use whatever you like and just get on LinkedIn and start having conversations with people. It'd be amazing, actually. Matt, uh, thanks for uh, coming here today and sharing all of your knowledge. Uh, you have decades of experience, so was really good to hear these stories and your knowledge if anyone wants to find you where they should go yeah if you want to connect it'd be great to hear from you best way to find me and the links to all my social media platforms is just head to my website which is mattedmondson.com and that's edmondson with a u not no there's a radio 2 dj in the uk called matt edmondson and so okay. often on twitter people confuse me with him and will send me song requests can you play this on the radio and i'm like yeah sure just keep <laughs> listening you know and <laughs> have a bit of yeah. have a bit of fun uh, but yeah if you head over to matt edmondson uh, e-d-m-u-n dsom.com and uh, all my links are there just connect with me and let me know how you heard of me it'd be great to hear from you great yeah we will also put these links into the description so all listeners can find you and uh, thanks to everyone who listened to us today make sure you subscribe on our youtube channel or if you listen to the podcast then uh, start following us on the major podcasting platforms and give us an honest review thanks again stay tuned everyone